You are listening to Master Coaching with Ajit, a podcast that inspires coaches to impact lives of their clients more meaningfully. I am Coach Ajit, and I'm known for coaching high performers, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and author of many books. On this podcast, I am answering your burning questions. I'm also demonstrating and deconstructing behind-the-scenes coaching sessions. You recently transitioned from a career to another. Transition, that's a big word for our community often because they are transitioning from being very successful in different fields to sometimes a new career like coaching, Mm -hmm. which is not only new for them, it's new for the world in some way. And that is an interesting shift for them and it becomes a little bit of a challenge sometimes because of that because it's like, like you were, you're wildly successful in one of the careers. You have everything set. You're making the money. You have the clients. You're doing the thing that you need to do. And then you go back into something else. And that almost feels like building from zero. Mm-hmm. How has transition been for you? What has been more present to you? Let's start there. It feels like a big pot of soup where some days it feels amazing and other days it feels just unraveling. I'd say I've been in the journey of transition for probably about three years. From the moment of knowing that I wanted to go a different path and a different direction in my career, in my business, to fully completing that transition. Because I started with, for seven years, I had a company called Conscious Copy & Co. And built it up to be one of the top copywriting agencies in the personal development and business space. And I loved it. It was so perfect for the chapter that I was in. But when I started to get the sense that there was something shifting, the main things that came up, there was basically all of the beliefs that were kind of standing in the way of me fully stepping into that. So the last three years, I feel like, has been the kind of dismantling of those beliefs and ultimately having enough courage to commit and trust myself, trust the process to really go for what I wanted next. Three years. Three years is a long time to transition. How was that experience? And I'm bringing more focus and attention. I'm asking you to time travel a little bit because I know that transitions can be long and sometimes they may feel a little intense for the person that is going through them mm-hmm. while in that journey. So when was it, like you said, you had an insight of I'm seeking something else in my life mm-hmm. to actually choosing to do that every day now. That's a three-year process. How did that transition happen? How was the insight that appeared to you? What were some of the signs that told you that now is the time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'll take you back to, it was about December of 2019. And at this point, I had built my company, Conscious Copy, and had created a lot of success. And around that time, though, I do a process, which is now a lot of what I do, called the Vivid Vision. And so I had set and cast a vision for the next three years of what I wanted Conscious Copy to look like. And I mapped out exactly what I wanted the business to look like, how I wanted it to feel, And then when I really, I looked at the idea of this future, there was a moment where I'm like, this doesn't excite me. Mm. Like, I know I can create this. 
and I don't really want to. And so that was a moment for me that I started to become curious of what I wanted to do instead. And the first thing that I started to do was look at where are all of the areas of my life and my business that are life-giving to me, that I love, that I get lost in, that I enjoy, that I just feel like I'm in full service and contribution. And in my business, I saw that there was this one little kind of subsection that we were doing on the side. My team this vivid vision process and helping entrepreneurs to really clarify their vision. And every time I got to work on that, I would just light up and it was so fun and so fulfilling. And so I just started to follow that thread. And so the next year, well, first off, 2020 then happened and the whole pandemic and that brought up, I think a lot for all of us. But for me, I kind of went into... Mm, I'd say a little bit of the survival mode first of just like, hey, we got to keep the train on the tracks for what we have right now. And so the idea of making the big transition was, I, I kind of put off, but I did start to say, well, what are the things that we can start to weave in so that I start to create the business to be a representation of what I would really love? And so I started to make different shifts in even just our offerings and where I was spending my time. But then I think the key moment, I was doing all of the things, but I was kind of taking my time with it. Like I didn't have a specific timeline. And fast forward to, it was January of 2022. And my father got really, really sick. He got well, to the point where we thought that he may pass. And we knew that if he stayed in the medical system and kind of followed what was recommended that he would. And so my family and I, we all rallied together and helped to assemble a world-class medical team to kind of help him get on the other side of that. And there was a moment where I was sitting at his bedside and he looked, my father's this brilliant entrepreneur, like so powerful, so brilliant. And I was just like looking at him, not knowing if he was going to make it another day. And I was like, what am I waiting for? Like, I felt like I was kind of just putting off what I wanted to do. And it was this moment of seeing like how freaking fast things can change, how precious life really is. And I think that for me was the catapult of being like, okay, by the end of this year, I'm going to make this complete transition. And for me, I had a company, I had 15 team members, I had a lot of clients. So it wasn't just as simple as like snapping my fingers and making the change. I realized that I had a lot of responsibility of the impact of my decision and the ripple effect that it was going to create for those around me. And so I didn't take that lightly. And so I was part of that transition too, was finding what was going to be the way to do it in a way that was an elegant ending mm -hmm. so that it was honoring of the business that I had built while being able to step into what I was building next. Beautiful. There was a point where you said the first time when you looked at the vision that you had done through the vision process and you had a vision for 
conscious copy, I think. Mm-hmm. And you looked at it, it felt like this is easy, this is achievable, but didn't excite you. Mm-hmm. I feel that's an interesting paradigm that we don't consider sometimes, is that we don't check in with the feelings. We check in just with practicality of mm-hmm. our vision, practicality of one plus one is going to create me to that place, this is how much time it's going to take, this is how it's going to come through. Tell me more a little bit about that experience. I know now you help founders also create their Vivid Vision. You help them clarify their vision. Your partner is Cameron Harold, who's the creator of Vivid Vision. And you run this whole experience for individuals, entrepreneurs very specifically. How did that happen? What's the experience? What's the feeling that you're looking for to know mm-hmm. if the calling that you have is the calling? And how do you know, like in your case, it was probably pretty straightforward because you're like, I can achieve this and it's not exciting. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people also go, I can't achieve this. And hence, it is not exciting. Tell me a little bit more. Let's take one step back and kind of go back into that rabbit hole of saying, well, how do you know if the vision that is coming through to you mm-hmm. is really that you want to chase or it's one of those where you're going to either, like, how do you know? Yeah, yeah, it's such a good question. One of my mentors, uh, her name is Mary Morrissey. And she taught me that one of the most powerful questions that we can ask ourselves is, what would I love? And the idea that if we believe in the concept that we came from love and that we go back to love, then when we ask ourselves the question, what would I love? That's actually spirit seeking to express itself through us by our response to that question. And so I had that in the back of my mind. And anytime now I'm creating anything for my future, it's one of the first questions I ask, like, what would I really love? And I notice how I feel in my body with this, what would I love? And it's this expansive opening feeling. And for me, that's a huge clue of, okay, keep following where the energy is, where the aliveness is. And so when I created this vision, even though, and I, for conscious copy, it created what I love here. And even then I still was like, and I don't totally love it. Like, Mm -hmm. even if I could have it all my way, I don't want it. Mm -hmm. And that was so powerful for me. And something that I think is so important and something that I notice a lot of leaders and founders and entrepreneurs, we can run into the example that I give, it's making sure that we don't create a golden jail self for ourselves, which means we lay out a blueprint of exactly what we want our future to look like, but we do so in a way of what we think we should do, what makes sense, what's logical, what's practical, what the market's doing, what our competition's doing. And if we build it from that place, oftentimes we can arrive there and be like, it's what I said, Mm -hmm. but it oftentimes can feel empty. It could feel limiting. It can feel like we're trapped. And that's usually a sign that we didn't create it from that true question of what would I love. Mm-hmm. And I so resonate with you. There was a point in my life where I was running a business. I was CEO of a company called Mind Valley, which our partners and have a coach. And I had gone to the place because I wanted to be the CEO of Mind Valley. I had written that on my, you can say, I didn't follow the vivid vision process per se, but it was my vision board, you can call it. We do something called the three most important questions. It was one of there. It was one of those things that I would mm-hmm. journal in the back of my journal because that's where I would do my goal 
review every three months or so, and I still do. And so I would write consistently, I want to be CEO of Mind Valley. And I was at that time not, I was not in the leadership role of the company per se when I started writing it, but in about three years from when I first wrote it, I was the CEO of Mind Valley. Wow. And it was great. And I didn't regret making that decision at all because I still loved doing what I was doing in my work. Mm-hmm. But because I manifested exactly what I wanted, I created a chaotic life around it because I didn't really question my life. I didn't have a vision mm. for life. I only had vision for one dimension of my life, which was to be this CEO of this company. And while I created that life, because I never really asked what do I really love, and I didn't really encourage myself to really ask a lifestyle question of saying, what is the life I want versus what's the role I want? Mm. I ended up getting what I wanted, but it, it didn't really fit. It didn't really make sense. And so I was in the golden jail, like you said, where I was wildly successful. There's no reason for anybody to feel like I'm not where I need to be or me to feel. Like for that matter, I remember feeling myself, why am I so unhappy doing the thing that I always wanted to do? It makes no sense, mm. right? Like you question your own self going, well, hold on, but I created this knowing fully well that this is what I wanted to create. Yeah. And now that I have it, I hate it. I don't, I don't love it or if not hate it, at least don't love it. Mm-hmm. And that created one of the biggest chaoses of my life, which was a beautiful chaos and it created the version of me that is available now. And I get to do things that I actually love all of it, not just one of it, and have that check consistently to go, do I love this, do I not? And if I don't, I would stop doing it and then transition out of it like, like you did in the past year. So I think that's a very important filter to have is do you love it? Not just do you like it, does it feel right? Does it sound right? Does it look right? Yeah. From the standards of the world, but does it actually feel right? Mm-hmm. I'm kind of leaning more and more into this first part of vision creation and knowing yeah, because I feel that's where most of us feel trapped. Mm. Like a lot of times what I've realized is also when I would ask individuals, what is your three-year, 10-year vision of yourself? is often people struggle. Mm. Like they go, I don't know, I don't have one. I'm trying to live day by day. Yeah. I'm just being present. And then they come up with bypasses, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I, I live in the present only. And which I'm like, that's yeah. fine, but yeah, I'm you going gotta with be flow, going. Whatever yeah, feels I'm going good. with the yeah. flow, whatever feels yeah. good. And now that I question them, because some of them maybe are really living that way and that's okay if that's the choice of life they've made. But a lot of times on Deep Inquiry I've found is they're also saying it because they're scared of the future. Mm. So they don't know and they don't want to know and they're unclear, they're unsure, they're uncertain. And they've had too many failures and or they feel like they've had too many failures. And so they don't want to commit to a future that they feel is not going to happen, right? So stuff like that is what I found to be true at least from my perspective, what would be something that you would tell someone that may be listening to this conversation right now and going, I don't know what my vision is mm-hmm. and, and I don't know how to find it. Or I created a vision and it didn't really pan out. I don't know if I should be doing this again. What's an insight or a way to think that you may recommend somebody like that? Yeah. First off, it's so common. And I think that it's one of those questions that so many people ask and then it feels like this like heavy question that we can get wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and the first thing I would say is you can't get it wrong. Like there's no quiz that you're going to fail if you say the wrong thing. And it's more so about really following and trusting yourself. The first most important thing that I believe when it comes to vision is self-honesty. Being really honest with yourself what you value, what you would love, what matters to you. And I think for so many of us, 
we, through our family, through society, we've judged ourselves for wanting what we want. And so we make up all these reasons why we can't have it. And so we're fear of being judged by others. We're afraid that uh, we're going to dream too big. We're afraid we're going to dream too small. We're afraid of the responsibility. And it's like all of these things that are really just standing in the way of getting really honest. So the first thing I would say is knowing that if you were to write down just what you would love, knowing that nobody else may even see it and give yourself the permission to want what you want. If you don't know where to start, I would say every day, just get in the habit of literally filling up a page or even 10 things that you want. And you don't have to say why you want it. You don't need to you know, stick up for yourself of this is the why. I think there's a value for the why, but sometimes we can just get in the practice of wanting what we want. The second thing I would say is recognizing that polarity creates clarity. Mm -hmm. So knowing what you don't want is just as valuable as what you do want. And so if you don't know what you want, start by looking at your current life and the snapshot that you have. What are the things that you don't love in your life? And get really honest with that and list them out. And then that is going to give you really good data of, okay, what's the opposite? Oh, I really don't love commuting to work every single day. Great. So what's the opposite of that? What are different possibilities of what's the opposite of that? I feel like I don't really have meaning or purpose in what I'm doing day to day. Great. So what would the opposite of that be? And all of these are clues to start to get you in the zip code of what you do want. And it really is a skill that the more you practice it, the more you're honest with yourself, the more specific you're going to be able to be. Beautiful. So there's, there's an exercise that comes to my mind. It's not my exercise. It's an exercise a friend told me that actually is done by your mentor, Mary Morrissey. <laughs> I love Mary. I've looked at her work. Amazing, amazing individual. The exercise a friend told me about, I haven't directly heard it from Mary, so I might misquote her with that permission. The exercise was something like, if you're single and you're looking for a partner in your life, mm -hmm. write down what are the 50 things that you want from your partner, 50 things that you want from yourself or mm -hmm. how you want to show up in a relationship, and then 50 things that you want the relationship to be. And then also write what are the not to haves, mm. right? There's like 50 things that you don't want in your partner, 50 things that you don't want for yourself, 50 things that you don't need in that relationship or knowing what you don't want helps you know what you do want because we have an easier way in our minds and our souls and our bodies to be able to go, that definitely doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And then this works because that doesn't work. So that, that could be a great filter, like you said, to really be able to identify what's the direction you need to get to. How does one know if, they are not, because again, this is maybe a selfish question because I hear it from my coaches a lot. And sometimes they're aware of it, sometimes they're not. So whoever's listening, <laughs> be mindful that you might not be aware of this, is they don't write a big vision mm -hmm. or a vivid vision or a long-term vision, something five to 10 years out, is because they're scared it will never come true. Mm, yeah, that is a common thing, again, that, that comes up in this process. And... I think the question I would ask is, even if you were in the zip code or the direction of it, would it still be worthy of pursuing? Would it still be worthy of going on the journey? And the biggest thing that I found when it comes to vision and, and a big belief is that there's this idea that we go to our vision, like 
somewhere out there is my vision and one day I will arrive there. Mm-hmm. And I believe that we come from our vision, that the fastest way to accelerate the results in our life is by being able to identify, okay, what is the blueprint of what it is that I want and how I'll know that I've quote unquote arrived. But then the very next question is, who do I get to be to bring that vision forth? What is the version of me that I get to become? And the more consistently we can come from our vision and show up as that version of ourselves, the more we're actually going to draw the situations and circumstances to us that are a match to that vision. And so even if we don't get the specific thing that we wrote down, I believe that if we operate from this place, usually it's something better. Usually if it's a detour, it was actually in our best interest. Most successful people will say that once they got their vision, they realized that it was so much less about the actual vision itself and it was more about who they became in the process and the skill set and the confidence and the conviction and all of these amazing characteristics they got to develop that now are motivating them to whatever's next. And I think it can be hard to fully believe that, right? When we're so attached and we want the thing so bad, no, like the money or the relationship or the career is going to make the thing make me happy. But really it's who we become that mm-hmm. makes us satisfied and, and happy and will continue to take us on whatever journey is next. Beautiful. I want to anchor two things for all listeners and watchers. First is you don't come to a vision, you come from a vision. Mm-hmm. You are not really looking at the horizon saying that's where I'm going to. You're kind of pointing in that direction but saying that's who I am or who I'm becoming. Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah. did I understand the essence of it correctly? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that you don't come to the vision, you come from the vision. I think that's beautiful. And I concur that that's something that is in my personal experience. What I feel once the vision becomes clearer, it's almost like a DNA code that unlocks within me mm-hmm. where I go, holy cow, I didn't know that that was a part of me. But now that I know that's what I would like to, that's what I'm called to in a way or mm-hmm. what I have set myself up for, suddenly something unlocks in me. And now I have a new capability. It's almost like a superpower that has been discovered just by saying that's where I would like to go. Yes, It's so beautiful the other day. And this has been on my, one of my visions is to be presenting to 10,000 people in 10 years. It's like super far out, don't care if it happens or not, but the version I become in the journey, right? And because of that, what happened is I said, okay, if I'm going to present to 10,000, I have to keep attention of 10,000 people mm. at the same time. That's a lot of people to keep attention of, yeah. right? And this is a physical environment. I'm not talking about virtual. Virtual, I've done four or 5,000 people already. And I can keep that attention. I know that, right? But in a live setting, when you're on stage, it's a very different play because you can see 10,000, not see, but you can see 10,000 people sitting up there. Yeah. The largest audience I've ever presented to is 2,000. Right? So 10,000 is five times that size. So it's huge. And in 2,000, I don't think I captured everybody's attention. <laughs> I was like kind of all right, but didn't crush it. But because that happened, suddenly unlocks started to happen. I was like, oh, like the other day I went to a, a training for speaker training because I was like, if you're going to present to 10,000 people, you have to become a version of you. That's yes. a very different version than where you are today. Yes. 
And as I was sitting down, I never saw myself as a storyteller. I've never mm. thought of that to be my skill. Like I've been like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever, you know. And uh, this this training is run by this another phenomenal mentor of mine, Lisa Nichols. Yes, you know Lisa? I, I've, I've been to her speaker training. It's yeah. the same training I think that she did this year when with, with a smaller speaks. group. Yes, yes, that training. Yes, I was in that training, mm. and she's a very expressive speaker. I think uh, to me, she's world class. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think anybody does a more phenomenal job. That is also intuitive. Like it almost is like she's connected to the audience. She's not yeah. doing a performance. It feels like sometimes that it's a performance, but it's like almost in response to whatever you are feeling. Yeah. Versus a lot of theatrical performances that our speakers feel very practiced. She doesn't mm-hmm. feel practiced mm-hmm. because she's so intuitive. And I learned that more about her as I was learning from her. Like, oh, she like really turns into you because she would sometimes orate our stories back to us and she would start crying as she would tell the story because mm-hmm. she's so in tune with the energy of the story. Yeah, I started like crying when she was telling my story. She yeah, like, like she, we, she did my that. story and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, so a, a lot of us, like the, when they were, she was just redoing our stories, uh-huh. we would all like kind of go, oh crap, that is my story. That's my story. I thought this is somebody else's story you're telling. But it was mm. phenomenal. So she's amazing. And that's a little detour of what I was really saying. But, but what happened in that training is, again, I have never seen myself as a storyteller. I've just been like, I know I'm brilliant. I know the ideas I present are contrarian and which is why sometimes people kind of have to sit up and understand and really listen to it because they are different, but they work and Mm -hmm. they are not popular narratives, but they are effective as techniques. And I know that about myself. And that's been my superpowers. Like, why should you listen to me as a speaker? Because you will become better than what you were before Mm -hmm. just because of what I will share with you, Mm -hmm. right? Because you may not have ever thought about it that way, right? And... Once that unlock happened for me, we were like, oh, 10,000 people, that's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I need to develop a ability to capture attention and create that bond with 10,000 people at the same time. Mm-hmm. And to be able to do that, you need to be a better storyteller. It's not about the content. It's about will they connect with you because 10,000 people are not listening to your content. They're listening to your story. There's no way they're listening to content. Mm-hmm. It's not part, it's, like it's, it's a large screen. They're sitting at the back of the room. They're not taking out their notepad and saying, I'm going to write all the notes out. Some of them are, but most of them are going to be out of it very fast, mm-hmm. right? So you've got to be a brilliant storyteller. So I go, okay, let's go learn storytelling. And what I learned because of that unlock, that one vision that became present to me, that maybe 10 years into the future or 100 years into the future, I don't know when it'll happen. And if it'll happen, I don't care. Or next month, who knows, Yeah, right? We don't know. But what happened for me suddenly, and I've presented in front of Lisa before because she's been in the room where I'm presenting, right? And so I'm presenting and I'm telling the story about my son and how I got my health back in my life. And Lisa is like, hold on. I have never seen you this expressive. Mm. I have never, ever seen you this expressive. And this was the first attempt. Like this wasn't like, oh, I practiced this a billion times. You've been to this place. You get like 10 minutes to practice before that. And that's all I had done. And she was like, this is amazing. And then of course she told me how to do it even better and so forth. But what I really wanted to present as an idea is it's that quick. Mm -hmm. Like suddenly your vision becomes present to you. You go to one training, of course you have to take action towards the vision. It's not just you have the vision and the unlock happens. But as soon as you take action, it's like superpowers. Like, oh, you can be expressive. You can be dramatic. You can actually hold a pregnant pause, which is what she calls when you drop a thing, you got to hold on and let the audience come into your story. Mm-hmm. And she was like, wow, that was great, all of those things. And of course, there's lots of things that I continue to do better. But at the same point in time, I was like, holy cow, that's fast. That was literally in a month from me designing another event, which is going to come to Austin, by the way. We are doing our 
first ever event in Austin uh, in November this year for a small community of 500 people. But yeah, that's literally a month later, I was like going, holy cow, I have found a power I didn't know. So good. Yeah. And I want to highlight something in your story and in your journey that is probably very intuitive to you now in second nature, but is such a, I call it like a vision code, which was you set the vision of 10,000 people. But then the next question was, okay, what type of speaker do I get to become to capture the attention of 10,000 people? And that question is gold because it's as soon as we cast that vision, it, it really is the, okay, who do I get to become to make welcome an opportunity like that. And then that's where the work really begins. So many people, they'll set the vision and then are just waiting around for it to land in front of them or they continue to operate from their current state of being, thinking that that is what's going to draw in the opportunity. But the fastest way to accelerate it is asking that question of who did you need to become? And then what are the skill sets? What are the behaviors? What are the mindsets? What are the beliefs that you get to adopt to become a match to an opportunity like that? And so mm-hmm. now when that opportunity comes, you're ready. Yeah. You're ready. You're not like, oh, <coughs> crap, now I got to go practice. No, you're ready for it. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Beautiful. I want to tag on top of that because I think that's sometimes the gap between vision and why sometimes visions don't become a reality for individuals mm-hmm. is because we decide the vision and then we wait around to say, now I've set the vision, John Asraf and I'm, John, I love you. <laughs> yeah. And this is an old story of yours. I know it's not true if you're listening to this, but John Asraf had this thing called the vision board, right? Mm-hmm. He was the one who first introduced the vision board in The Secret. Yes. I, at least that's what my memory is serving me right now. It had Absolutely. a house and he bought the perfect house, the same house literally he bought, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of people just stop at making the vision board mm-hmm. and then they stop. They're like, and even if you're doing the vision board practice, it's not about <laughs> making the vision board. It's then saying, who do I get to become? So that's one of the ways to ask that question. Who do I get to become? Who's the person that would have that house? Who's mm-hmm. the person that would be speaking in front of 10,000 people? And there's another way to ask that question, which is the way I ask questions, which I learned from Christy Marie Sheldon, who's one of our authors at Mind Valley, and, and Vision talks about it a lot, my business partner. It's called the lofty question, which is mm. why am I speaking in front of 10,000 people? Ooh. Right? And it's the same thing. Yes. It's just framed differently mm. because when you ask why, sometimes your mind will come up with the answer that who or what sometimes you don't know because what sometimes is informed by what you know mm-hmm. why creates curiosity mm-hmm. so it could be both of the ways it's a fun way to play that dance and go okay why do I get to create these reality whatever that is that I want or mm-hmm. who do I get to become to live this reality and yes. both the questions are phenomenal to get those answers mm-hmm. other and this is just to restate how important vision is because I just want to drive that home now that I have you on the pod is I want to Again, the thing that I just said, speaking in front of 10,000 people, Mm -hmm. right? That was to grab attention. And it's maybe about a month, two months now, because a month later I went to the training, a month has passed since the training approximately. And it's interesting. It's literally this week that I've had my most viral reel that has ever happened. Mm. And it's of me speaking on a stage. It's a million views and that has happened 
since two weeks since I've said that I want to speak in front of 10,000 people. It's so fascinating how quickly things just happen. Yeah. Once you start dialing in, you're clear, you get present to it, you double down on that idea and you mm -hmm. say, where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. So it's extremely powerful to set that vision. Now with that, I want to take one step further. So mm -hmm. there might be people who are currently in that stage of, all right, I'm sold. I'm going to make my vivid vision. I want to, or I want to make a vision. I want to write a vision. I want to discover my vision. What would be something, I know you take a whole process and I think individuals can sign up with you to come through. I think you do a four-day retreat where mm -hmm. you do a deep dive, including breath work. And I would love for you to talk about that a little bit. But before that, mm -hmm. for the ones who may or may not be able to attend that retreat, what are some of the ideas that you would go, hey, listen, here are some of the things that you want to think about when you are designing your vivid vision or a vision even if it's a single dimensional, like what do you want for work or what do you want in a relationship? Mm -hmm. What are some of the ideas or key pointers you would like to suggest? Yeah, so there's five pointers. Mm -hmm. Super simple though. The first one is to get in a vision state. So oftentimes when we craft our vision or when we attempt to, we're doing it from the current state of mind and our current reality. So if you're feeling frustrated, overwhelmed, stressed out, and you go into trying to create the vision process, you're just going to create more of the same. So to get in a vision state, there's a few things that you can do. One is go somewhere out in nature or somewhere that feels really expansive and life-giving to you and dedicate two hours to this process. So you're not just squeezing it in between meetings, but you give yourself the space. I find that doing breath work is one of the most potent ways to quickly get in a vision state of where our brain is relaxed, awake, aware. We can actually just open up to creativity. The second step is to, I found that three years is a sweet spot for crafting your vision because oftentimes if we can do a 10-year vision, but 10 years is so far out that we can't be really vivid and specific, one year is too close that really we're creating a plan. We're not creating a vision. And if you know exactly how it's going to happen, it's actually a plan, not a vision. So three years is that sweet spot. So that step number two is to go three years into the future. Say it's December 31st, three years into the future. And then ask that question, what would I love? What would I love? What would I love my health to look like? What would I love my relationships to look like? My business, my lifestyle? Where do I spend my time? Who do I spend it with? What are the things that I'm doing? How much am I working? And just asking yourself what you want your life to look like. Imagine that you took yourself into a time machine into that and you're just walking around your life. So number two is asking that, what would I love? Number three is paint the picture. So our subconscious brain or part of our brain is where most of, of how we're operating, 95% of our, our decisions are from our subconscious mind. The subconscious responds to specificity, to story, to picture, and to emotion. So the more specific that you can make your vision, the more that you can tell a story around it, the more that you can evoke emotion, that is what's going to put an imprint on your subconscious. And ultimately, the kind of the side note, the science behind, say, law of attraction is really there's a part of our brain called our reticular activating system. And it's kind of like Google, but for our brain. So 
if you're to plug in a question to Google, right, anything that is a response to that question will come up in your search feed. Well, the same thing happens between our logical part of our brain and our subconscious is our RAS, our, RAS, our reticular activating system. So we're plugging into this vision and now this part of your brain is on the lookout for anything that is a match to that vision. That's where I, if you, if you say, hey, 10,000 people on a stage, this part of your brain is looking all the time, 24-7 for anything that's a match to that, anything that would open up the door of that opportunity. So painting the picture is really, really key. Um, and then from there, number four is to speak it in present terms, reflecting back. You're not saying, I'm going to do this or this will happen. It's, I've done this. This is what my life looks like. You're looking in the rearview mirror of the last three years. Because again, this is informing our subconscious to say this is already done. The subconscious only operates in the now. And then step five is to not worry about the how right now. And this is probably one of the hardest things that people get tripped up on. They'll write it down and then they start going into strategy. What are all of the ways that I can make this happen? And I would really dedicate that one or two hours to simply just what you want, why you want it, what it looks like. And every time that part of your brain that is attached to the how is searching for the answer, just let that part of your brain know, we will dive into the how just not right now. <laughs> because so often I see people limit their creativity of what's possible because they just keep getting caught up in how they're going to make it happen. And then their vision comes a bit watered down. It's so important to not write how. I just quick story around that is, so about two years ago, and I review it every year, but I just want to refer to when I first wrote it. About two years ago, I did the whole Vivid Division for Evercoach. And we wrote down that we want to do 10,000 certified coaches every year. And I also wrote down that I don't want my team to be more than 20 people. 20 people, that was the capital. Like, I don't want to work with more than 20 people directly working with me. They could be indirect. I called mm -hmm. it the Lego brick model of building a company with mm -hmm. circular leadership, which means nobody's hierarchical, everybody's circular, which means everybody reports to everyone, but there's nobody who's the boss per se. There may be somebody who manages them, but not the boss. Right, so I wanted very democratic as a structure. And at the same point in time, I only want to interact with 20 people because after that, I feel like it was too much for me or felt too much to me. Funnily, last year we did 8,300 and this was a 10 year vision. I didn't even put three mm. years. I did 10 years because to me that feels, in three years I can plan, I know my brain. I will plan, map it out. So I did 10 years for myself. So I was like, I'm going to 10 years. It was impossible at the time because we were just literally writing our first certification ever at the time. Wow. <laughs> right? So it was like we were writing the first mm -hmm. one and we were like, we don't even know if anybody's going to sign up for it. When I wrote, we'll have 10,000 certified coaches every year. Right? And now we'll probably outperform 10,000 this year, which means like we, we anyways updated our vision, but like if I was to adhere to that vision, we would already surpass it in year three versus year 10, which is what my expectation was of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And what is more interesting is until if you will ask me, Six months ago, I was like, that 20-person team will not be possible. It has to be bigger because we're doing just the revenue, the you know the engagement of teams that we have to do. 
and then AI came out, <laughs> right? Mm. And ChatGPT came out, and suddenly we are going, well, hold on, <laughs> we don't need to hire any more people. We can just optimize the productivity of every single person, and we are finding that to be true. Uh, we have reduced our, our not reduced our headcount, but increased our productivity by like at least thirty percent, probably even more at this point. And wow. that's very early stage of AI implementation in our company uh, because it's still so fresh, so new, and you know it's not fully integrated. Not everybody's using it, and it's hard to deploy such a complex threatening technology for some individuals or feels threatening to some individuals. But it's so fascinating mm-hmm. how sometimes even the universe conspires once you set yourself up and then you go, I don't know how it's going to happen, but that's what I would love to happen. Mm-hmm. And it happens so much faster. So I want to just acknowledge that, that that's very true. And it's been true in my life, which is why I'm so excited that we got a chance to sit down today. But before we step away, tell us a little bit more about your process and how somebody can know more about the work that you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and I love that story. And just to highlight again, with with the how, oftentimes the how that we can come up with is like so tiny to the how that's possible. And I've had so many situations myself as well of just how things transpire in a way that I would least expect. And so I'm sure each person listening to here has had those moments. And so just remembering that as you are in this process. So when it comes to our process for helping entrepreneurs, coaches, leaders clarify their vision, there's a few different ways that we help. One is through our retreats. Uh, We have a done kind of a done for you process where we guide individuals one on one through the process to really clarify number one what is the vision and we have processes for getting clarity of what the vision is to begin with and then two which is a really important piece is being able to effectively communicate it because oftentimes if we're going to build a company that's going to require team and vendors and partners. And if we don't know how to effectively communicate our vision, then it's something that gets lost in translation. And we can't empower our team members to really take full ownership of the vision. And the vision being something that we're all serving together versus just serving a person in a company. So we help with that process as well through our vivid vision documents where we actually help craft a document that then can be rolled out into an organization. So if anyone's interested in learning about our retreats, our programs, all of that, you can go to visiondrivenglobal.com. Cool. We'll link it up also below in the show notes, visiondrivenglobal.com. Thank you so much for taking the time. It was fantastic talking to you. Thanks for having me. 